Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to means. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metalworker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him, because he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, and will bring me safely to his Be to God. Thanks, Meg. Meg's a good sport, isn't she? She got through all those names. Well done. Uh, if you haven't met me, my name's Stuart Starr. I'm the lead pastor, and I have the privilege of being able to uh, open up this part of God's Word for us uh, this morning as we uh, bring to a close our uh, examination of uh, 2 Timothy. Uh, it's been a great little series. We've done 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. I hope you've got a sense of uh, this man, Paul, uh, and his deep love and relationship uh, and care for uh, this young bloke called, uh, called Timothy. Uh, if, you've got, uh, if you've got your Bibles, it would be great to keep them open uh, this morning. So uh, we'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to pray and then uh, ask you a question. Heavenly Father, thanks. thanks for the chance to open your word. I pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us to hear this word. By that same Holy Spirit, Father, you would change us so that we would live more and more pleasing to you. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, Jeff mentioned it, and I've been asking it all week. And uh, I want to ask you guys as well, what, what are you longing for? What are you longing for? Looking at Mandy, I've got a guess. Arthur's arrival. Would that be right, Mandy? Excellent. Uh, yeah, absolutely looking forward to that. 
Uh, Rob and Lisa might be longing for their wedding. Would that be right, guys? At least amongst other things, but, but possibly. Uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it, to start thinking, what, what are we longing for? Uh, for some of us, we're longing to be free of sickness, which is plaguing our household. Uh, my other three, so my wife and my two kids, are out today, so they're sick. I'm longing for them to be well again. Uh, some of you have been longing for the holidays, and they're here, and that's brilliant. Uh, that's, that's a great relief. Uh, what is it that we're longing for? I was longing, to, as I said the other week, I was longing to ride, ride up Razorback on my bike. And I did it the other week. That's exciting. Now, now I'm longing to ride, ride up old Razorback, which is apparently the one that works you really hard. So I'll, I'll see how that one goes. Uh, but what are we longing for? What, what's the thing that you're, you're looking forward to, that you're hanging out for, that you turn over and over in your mind thinking, I can't wait for that to happen. Not sure what it is. For some of you who are building houses, it'll be that. Can't wait to move in. I know in Jeff's case, it'll be, I can't wait to finish my landscaping. So it'll be all done. There are lots of things that we long and look forward to. And today, uh, we're going to see a special place that longing uh, will play uh, in the Christian life. I can tell you a little bit of a backstory, though. Uh, Paul, who wrote this, was longing for something. Uh, We need to remember what his context was. So Paul, the author of uh, this letter, uh, was in jail. He was in prison. And uh, at one level, I assume he was longing to get out. But that seems increasingly unlikely. And so we actually can see what he was longing for here. Uh, If we look at verses uh, 9 to 12. Again, it's funny. we, We often come to the Bible and the way that we listen to it, we think, okay, that's really important. Uh, We break it down into little bits. And I'll be doing that today. But sometimes in the process, we miss how personal it is. This is a letter written from a man in prison to his friend. And he's just saying, mate, I miss you. I'd love to see you. Have a listen to how personal this is. Uh, Verses 9 to 12. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, and my scrolls, especially the parchments. What was Paul longing for? Come and be with me. Come and be with me. Can you bring my cloak? It's a bit chilly in jail here, and I might have been a bit of a duffer and left it. So can you bring that along? And can you bring my mate Mark? He's really helpful. He's a, good, he's a good bloke. Can you bring him along as well? So, so what do we see here? Something very personal. What was Paul longing for? Paul's longing for support. People to stand by his side. And you can hear that there'd actually been a whole stack of abandonments, hadn't there? People who've deserted him. You, you might think to yourself, why, why has that happened? Didn't he have very good friends? <coughs> At one level, it's important to remember the kind of pressure that Paul's under. Paul's been arrested for being somebody who was preaching Jesus. And he had appealed to Caesar. And the theory is he's been shipped from where he was in Israel, halfway around the world to Rome in Italy, and he's actually before the court of Caesar. Now, we might think it's not so much of a big deal to kind of go before a big judge or something in court, although I think I'd be terrified. What what Paul has done is appealed to Caesar. Caesar is literally the most powerful man in the whole world. And there he is, standing in court, 
on trial for his life. When we say Caesar's the most powerful man in the world, we don't just mean he's got a, 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 a finger on the red button of, of military destruction, although he's the head of all the armies that are ruling the world at the moment. But more than that, he's actually, he's actually honoured as a god. And here's Paul, standing in his presence, on trial for his life. Can you understand why someone didn't want to stand next to him? They'd abandon him. And what Paul is longing for is genuine support and friendship from those who he knew and loved. We can see a little bit of what that, what that uh, case looked like. Have a look at verse, uh, verse 16. At my first defence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. And then he says a little bit later, I was delivered from the lion's mouth. So the first offence, the first time he was in the court, nobody was with him. Now that would have been a pretty lonely feeling, I assume. But he says graciously, how gracious is he? May it not be held against him. That's a very forgiving man, isn't it? He could have been, smite them, God. Doesn't say that, does he? May it not be held against him. And he says that I was delivered from the lion's mouth. There's some discussion about whether he was literally delivered from the mouth of a lion, as in in the Colosseum, or whether it's just he was delivered from his enemies. Uh, For those of you who want to do some Bible checking later on, uh, the middle of Psalm 22 has some wonderful words that he could be alluding to, where he talks about God saving from the edge of the sword and the mouth of the lion. At any rate... Paul is near the end. He's in Caesar's court and he's facing death. That's his context. Pretty full on. Alrighty. Why don't you have a look at this picture here? Can anyone guess what's going on in this picture here? Sorry. iPhone. It could be iPhone, couldn't it? It could be. Uh, it's, I think it's Christmas, Christmas sales. But um, I like that. It's very contemporary. Uh, yes, the iPhone went on sale the other day, and there were large crowds. But you know, every now and again, it's sale time. Does anyone know this? I don't know when the sales are, other than I used to work at David Jones, and I'd know because for the first sort of three or four weeks before the sales would come, we'd be sort of putting up stuff all over the place, and that's how I'd know. But nowadays, I've got no idea when the sales are. I haven't got a clue. Are there some people here who are tuned into sales, know when they happen? Oh, very good. Look at how wonderful you guys are. Um, Some people know these things. Some people just know. That's that's part of their context. It's coming up to sale time. Don't buy now. You can get a bargain later. Some people know that it's holiday time. And some of you will have a little clock working in your heads, particularly the teachers, I imagine, (laughs) going, oh, it's only another week until holiday time. I don't know. Do you Cheslon residents know when school holidays are? No. Now, now, yes, it is now, correct. But it's funny, in one context, your mind is totally attuned to this little clock ticking along for holidays coming up for kids, right? And in another context, you're totally ignorant about it. You just forget about it entirely. But some people are super tuned in to that little clock ticking. For other people, they might know that it's a time of year to start planting things. I was just chatting with Rainy before on a way in, and she was talking about it's planting time. Carolyn was out getting some veggies the other day. Is anyone attuned to the 
the, the seasons from a planting perspective. Lisa, yes, absolutely. Yep, and you as well, Pamela, and Margaret. Great. So when you're that sort of person, you're aware, well, this is a good time to put these in, or this is a time where those need to come out. Now, I've got to tell you, I have no idea. I grew up with only two seasons. When I was in Darwin, there was wet season and dry season. And so people talk about all this spring and winter thing. I've got no idea what you're talking about. But some people know when the seasons are and they live with that little clock ticking along in their heads. What I want us to see is the clock that Paul has ticking in his head and the one that you and I, who follow God, should, should also. Have a look with me at uh, 1 Timothy, uh, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and the first two verses. Have a listen to this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. See, the context that Paul is writing to Timothy is, I've got a little clock ticking in my head. And here's what's driving that clock. I am standing in the presence of God. It's wonderful doing church at some level in a school, isn't it? Because the one thing that you can't ever be convinced of is that this is a special holy place. It's a school hall, yeah? Have a look on the wall over there. Somebody uses it as their special place, but it's, it, we, we use it for just this hour. So we don't have this sense that walking into this building is coming into the presence of God. It's a place where God's people meet, which is brilliant. Can I encourage you? You're in the presence of God wherever you are. It's not just holy places that you come into the presence of God. Paul says, and he's in jail. Do you reckon that's a holy place? Well, (laughs) it's made holy by the presence of God's people. But he didn't drag God there. So he says, I write to you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. I think that's encouraging. So so even when you go out from here, we won't say, we, we, we could say the Lord be with you. But we're not imagining that you hold a balloon with a little string on it and drag God along. God will be where you will be. In the presence of God, you are. So in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, what will Christ Jesus do? Who will judge the living and the dead? Now Jeff put up the picture of uh, who's our king. And that was great. I love love that that preaching. I don't preach anywhere near like that. But uh, it's fantastically powerful. Who is this Jesus? Well, he's the one who will judge the living and the dead. He's powerful, and your life and my life will be called to account one day. He's the judge of the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. See, what's the clock ticking in Paul's head? Jesus is mighty and powerful. One day he's going to return in glory. He will return as the judge of the living and the dead. And if you of his kingdom and his appearing, I tell you this. So some people are aware of seasons for planting. Some people are aware of seasons for bargains. Some, some people are aware of holiday seasons. God here wants you to be aware of the time, the season that we're in. Namely, just before Jesus returns. A day is coming, is what Paul is saying. A day is coming. And it should shape how we live. It should shape how we live. Well, then he continues. In light of that context, verse 2, what should Timothy do? 
Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. So because the day is coming when Jesus will return, because he's the judge of the living and the dead, what ought you to do, Timothy? You should preach the word. You should preach the word. Preach the word in season, not just in winter and summer. Preach it when people want to hear it. Preach it when people don't want to hear it. Be involved in this task of bringing the word regardless. (coughs) Timothy, I want you to speak in light of the day. There's a day coming. You must announce the good news that is in Jesus, the hope of new life that we have. Speak in light of the day. Have a listen to what else Paul says in light of that day that's coming. Have a look with me at verses 14 and 15. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. Now one level, this is just good tips for Timothy. Timothy, be aware, this bloke doesn't like us. And in fact, he's been our enemy. He's been our enemy. Notice what Paul says though, in light of the day, he says, the Lord will repay him for what he's done. Now, at one level, we might think that's a terrible thing for him to hang on to. But what he's saying is he knows that the Lord will return, that he's the judge of the living and the dead, and that those who oppose the message will one day be called to account. What what are we doing practically with that? Well, I want to encourage you, leave revenge to the Lord for that day. You might think to yourself, that's too far away. I've got to get onto this today. I need to right the wrongs. I need to set things straight. Otherwise, I'll get away with it. Paul's example to us here is to leave it to the Lord. It's his job, not yours. And so leave it to the Lord in light of that day. Remembering the big picture changes everything. So if we remember the big context, not holidays, not gardening, not shopping, But the return of the Lord Jesus, that will shape how we should then live. Are you remembering that day? Well, I want to talk to you about the weather because, you know, this is a very interesting and engaging thing. I don't know about you, but I love the weather. love paying attention to the weather. Anyone else like the weather? Yeah, a couple of little hands. All right. Now, one of the reasons I love the weather so much is uh, when I go out riding my bike... Uh, you don't pack a big suitcase with you. Well, not on my bike anyway. Uh, And so when I go out, what I'm wearing has to do for the whole ride. I have to be able to change it. and, and So I need to know exactly what the weather's like. And so I have a little app on my phone, which I love. Uh, Looks like that. doesn't matter. What you you can see, though, is what it does is it breaks it down into three-hour intervals and then graphs what the temperature might be. And it also puts in there what the percentage chance of rain is at various three-hour intervals. Oh, so good. Do I pack my little rain jacket or not? Do I... Anyway, hilarious. It tells me what the wind strength is, which direction it's blowing. I mean, it's just... It's fantastic. I love it. Now, I want you to imagine that you have a weather app and you look at it and it says today is going to be just like that. Bright, shiny, beautiful. Right? And you think, fantastic. So you go out the door... And it ends up being a bit more like that. 
and you're in your shorts and t-shirt or whatever it is it is for some funny days. And so you look at it and you go, well, that's no good. I know what I'll do. I'll get a better weather application. I'll get a better weather, weather application that only ever, only ever puts sunny days on. Yeah? If I just take a screenshot of sunny days, every time I look at my weather app, it'll be fine, won't it? It'll show me that it's going to be a sunny day today. And that way there'll only ever be sunny days. Is that right? Will that work? Okay, you know it won't work. It'd be delusional, wouldn't it? I won't just change the weather app because it's saying it's going to rain today. The weather will be what it is. And if the weather app isn't telling me what's actually happening, rather than changing the app, I actually need to start paying attention to what's happening here. Have a listen to, uh, to what Timothy is told here by, uh, by Paul, uh, verses 3 and 4. For a time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. See, Timothy is preaching the truth about God. It won't always be what people want to hear. And some people will get sick of it and want to change the app. They can't change the weather. They can't change what God is actually thinking. But they'll change the app. They'll go aside to other teachers who'll tell them things that they actually like. I want to ask you this morning, are we seeking only what we want to hear? Are we seeking only what we want to hear? And the challenge there is, if we hear something at church that we don't like, I mean, if I'm sitting watching the TV and I don't like what's on the TV, what do I do? In fact, I, I don't, is this a mountain male affliction? I flick out on everything. I watch four things at the same time. I, I don't really want to get bogged down in anything. So I'll flick the channel. And when it comes to listening to God's word and we don't like what's on, let's just change that. Might be another church. Might be we tune out and look at our phone and we think we're looking at the Bible on our phone but we're actually playing a game. <laughs> Are we seeking only what we want to hear? Timothy is told, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. It says, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. That's what Timothy is told to do with God's word. And what I want to ask us this morning is, do you hear all three? Do you hear all three? Now Matthew and I will work really hard to make sure that we preach all three. That's why we preach what we call expositionally, one book of the Bible at a time we work through, rather than just picking topics. Because what can happen when I pick topics is, I preach what I want to preach, and I preach only what I think you need to hear. So Matt and I might just select some stuff that we love. The reason for reading widely, the reason for preaching through whole books, is that we get to stuff that maybe we don't want to hear. So what I want to ask you, as you listen to God's word... Have you been corrected? Have you been rebuked? Have you been encouraged? Now, I don't want it just to be about correcting and rebuking. We do want to encourage it, okay? But have you heard all three? Do you ever have any uncomfortable moments where you're going, gracious, I'm a bit bit regretful that God's word actually says that? I think we need to have those moments in order to make sure that we're hearing all of the scripture. So I want to encourage you, be careful to hear everything God's got to say. 
not just the bits you like. Alrighty. I was going to look this up before, but I didn't. Does anyone know how many businesses fail in the first year? It's a, it's a big percentage. I think it's something like 70% of all businesses that start fail in the first year. So, opening day, I love this. Balloons, little sign, very exciting. Is it going to last? I don't know, but statistically, it's looking like it's a little bit unlikely. But do you reckon that anyone who starts a new business is planning to fail? No, no, I don't think so. If that's you, can I encourage you, don't start. You can fail by not starting. That'll be good. Don't waste everyone's time. So, so you can start thinking, I hope it's going to be brilliant. Tomorrow, I look forward to opening the shop again. Now, I wonder, have, has anyone heard of what's called the second habit, uh, which is uh, from the seven habits of highly effective people? Has anyone heard of this book? Probably a bit old school now, is it? It used to be very, very popular, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's actually a pretty good book, isn't it, Matt? It's a summary on Wikipedia. A summary on Wikipedia. Go right there and check it out. Uh, it's actually really useful. The book's actually well worth a read. Uh, the second habit uh, is very, very interesting. The second habit is, he says, start with the end in mind. Start with the end in mind. Okay. So some people start and they think, I'm looking forward to tomorrow. And that's okay. Tomorrow's going to come anyway, so you may as well be prepared for it. But, but they haven't thought what the end of the month looks like, or a year, or... Do you know what I mean? They're not casting enough ahead. Start with the end in mind, is what habit two says. And Friends, I just want to put this picture before you. I was... Yeah, I'll put it up. Uh, anyone know what that is? It's actually, it's a cross in a graveyard. It's a cross in a graveyard. Now that's the sort of upbeat encouragement you're looking for at church this morning, isn't it? What, what I want to do, just quietly, is tell you, have you thought about the end? Start with the end in mind. Have you thought about the end? Have a listen to this. Paul has been thinking about the end. Let's look together at verses 6 and 7. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Paul's saying the time for my departure is near. He's looking down the barrel. He's thinking, my first offence, I survived. My second one, do you know what? The odds of me standing up in Caesar's court and walking out scot-free are pretty close to zero. On top of that, Paul isn't just standing there quietly. Do you know what he's actually doing? He's preaching. He's telling them who the real king of the world is. How do you reckon that's going to go down with the man who's got the title king of the world? Not very well. So Paul's looking his fate, his end in mind. He says, the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. And what I want to ask you this morning is this. Have you thought about your end? 
I did this one day. I should have told you. You can tell me afterwards. I did this one, a talk about uh, a young man who uh, Jesus raised from the dead. And I was doing it at, at my old church at Fig Tree. And there was about 350 young adults there. And I'm preaching to them and I'm saying about this young man who died. And I thought, you know what? I just need to have a moment and stop and look at everyone in the face and say, I'm not sure if you're aware of the death statistics. Does anyone know what percentage of people die? It's 100% with one glorious exception, the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't want this to be very heavy, but I want it to be a little bit heavy. We, we always talk about when death comes, we always talk about being shocked, don't we? Almost inevitably. It's an intruder into our life. All I want to say to you is, have you thought about the fact that you'll die? Why would I want you to think about that? Because I want you to start with the end in mind. Have a listen to Paul here. He talks about the fact that he's staring death in the face and yet he is not afraid, he is not overwhelmed. Listen to verses 16 and 17 again. In my first offence, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. may not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. See, Paul is looking death in the face. And even as everyone on earth has abandoned him, He finds help in the Lord. And I want you to be aware, are you aware that he will help you stand to the end? Are you aware that he will help you stand to the end? That your Lord will sustain you, strengthen you. You won't be on your own, even if everyone else has left you. I find that tremendously encouraging. Now it's delivered from the lion's mouth, Paul says. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? What Paul says there is the Lord will save me from every evil attack. And so we think, oh, brilliant. What he means is he'll be delivered from jail and captivity. Where will God take him safely, does he say? Safely to his heavenly kingdom. The deliverance that Paul is looking forward to is not from jail, not from suffering, but safely into the presence of God in that final day. God will deliver me safely. God will deliver you safely. If you know his power to keep his word, that he'll see you through to the end. Paul's so excited about this final day. In, in verse, we're jumping around a little bit, but in, uh, uh, in verse, oh, I've jumped a page here. Uh, in verse, what have I got there? Verse 8, he says this Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Paul's looking forward to it. He knows the context, knows where he's heading, knows that the Lord will stand with him, knows that the Lord will see him safely. Now you might remember a couple of weeks ago, Matthew talked about what is Jesus's will be ours. What is Jesus's will be ours? Why will it be ours? Because we're in him. We're incorporated into Jesus when we believe in him. 
So, the Lord will receive a crown of righteousness. Brilliant. Who will receive a crown of righteousness? Well, Paul will receive a crown of righteousness. Fantastic. Now, we talked about this in the life group uh, we had at uh, Cheslaw. And we talked about the fact that it was fairly reasonable that Paul might get a crown of righteousness. Yeah? If you're handing them out, I'd give one to Paul. It's, kind of, it, it, it's not quite the gold star or the sticker on your hand or something, but crown of righteousness. If we form an ordered line of all the people who've ever lived, I'd be giving Paul one. Well done, Paul. But I want you to be shocked by what he says next. Have a look at this. And not only to me, not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Because that gives who a chance to get one? Us. Exactly right. Us. We get a chance. To all who have longed for his appearing. And so I want to ask you, are you longing? Are you longing for his appearing? I was great hearing Matt pray for the difficulties and trials of our world. Now as we pray, gee, it's hard, isn't it? You look at the world and you just think, man, how does that get fixed? And I think our only right response at some level, after we've prayed like Matt has, is to say, come Lord Jesus. Yeah? We are longing for him to make the world right. Brothers and sisters, there's a crown of righteousness for all who long for his appearing. Habit 2 says, start with the end in mind. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, those of you who are trusting in Jesus, start with the glorious end in mind, standing in the presence of God, having seen safely to that day. Start with that end in mind. Keep that end in mind. One day, I will stand in glory in the presence of God. So I'm just going to stop for a second. Do you believe me? Have you thought about the conscious you that's sitting here in a plastic seat in a school hall in Oran Park? Have you thought that you will one day stand in the presence of the living God? I think that's an extraordinary thought. That you and I might be welcomed into glory. And if this morning you haven't said, I want Jesus to be my King and Saviour, I want you to know that one day you'll stand in the presence of Jesus. And I want you to know him as saviour, not as judge. Saviour, not as judge. Well, we saw that Paul was in prison. We were reminded about the seasons, about the weather, about habit number two. I think these actually line up really nicely with our values over here. Have a look. Uh, The people who were going to help Paul out were acting in compassion, living at a value of being compassionate. This idea of the seasons plugs in really well to our adventurous value. Being aware of the weather, listening to what God has to say, plugs into our faithful value. And the idea of starting with the end in mind absolutely nails our value of enduring to the end. Well, what should you and I do in light of this? Well, as we look at our world that is struggling in all sorts of hardship, I would love you to think about how you can show compassion. How do we actively live that out? So the um, the Anglican Aid, which the Archbishop runs, is enabling gifts to reach people who are struggling in the Middle East. You might want to give. 
I was just saying to some of the ladies in the front here, we're going to do simple love again, where we're going to give our goods that we buy to refugees. We're going to do that again soon. Find a way to live out our compassionate value. What about the season? In light of that clock ticking, Jesus' return, in view of his kingdom, what ought Timothy do? Speak. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you to be doing these things here. Connect, care, communicate and lead people to commit. You can do it. If it's true that Jesus is returning, take every relationship one C further along. I've connected. Find a way to care. I've cared. Find a way to communicate. I've communicated. Pray like crazy. You have an opportunity to lead them to commit. In light of our faithful value, wanting to hear everything that God's got to say and not just tune in to the little bits that we like, stop reading just your favourite passages. Well, actually, keep reading your favourite passages. Let them bless and nourish your soul. But don't just read them. Read broadly. Read the awkward stuff in the Bible you're going, I don't know why that's there. And, And those of you who've been reading through Judges, you'll know that feeling. We're up to 1 Samuel now. We have a reading program. If you don't know what it is, we'll give you a copy. Just read a part of the Bible every day, not your favourite bit, just the next bit, so that we're hearing everything that God has to say. And listen to see if you can hear a correction, a rebuke, or an encouragement. And finally, with this whole enduring thing, you might want to take a moment to think, have I thought about my end? Am I prepared for that? And if you'd like to see other people make it to the end, I think as a church we need to do this more and more. Just catching up with one another and saying, how are you doing? Over here under our enduring value, we ask people, where are you weak and in danger of falling? Who, who knows you well enough to ask you this? And we want to see those sort of conversations happening in our church more and more. Because we would love to see every one of you enduring to that final day. Can you see how longing rightly changes everything? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have raised Jesus up. Not only that he died for our sins, but you raised him to your right hand where he rules in glory and majesty and power. Where one day, Father, he'll return as king and judge. Heavenly Father, would you help us Help us to live in light of that day, to speak the message of new life that we've found in Jesus, to act compassionately, to encourage others to keep running the race. We pray, Father, that this church may be filled with people who are longing for your return and will be found faithful on the day you do. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.